Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, you guys are in for another awesome episode today of a joint podcast effort. I am Jory Rose, here with my fiancé. Who's starting off a little early, and I am Dr. John (laughs) with the Evolved Caveman Podcast. Are you trying to jump over my words already? Yeah, I want I want to be front and center. I want the spotlight of attention on me. That's just how I am. <laughs> Not usually, but sometimes. <laughs> so I have to say, I'm really excited for this conversation we're about to have. And today that this is airing is Valentine's Day. And so Happy Valentine's Day. Very intentional. I don't know what kind of creepy voice that was. That was like... <laughs> um, But I I, I was really intentional that I wanted to record this coming out today because I happen to have like a love-hate relationship with Valentine's Day. And I think many people do. And it gives a really confusing sense of what love and expression of love should look like. And I want to be here today to help people understand that love takes a lot of work. And, you know, you and I got some amazing feedback from our last joint podcast that we did just a couple weeks ago. And some of the feedback that I know I received was comments like, oh my God, you guys are so cute together. I'm so jealous. He's got such an amazing, sexy voice. Okay. Maybe I put the word sexy in there, but you know, (laughs) I did get a comment on what a great voice you have. Um, But I want people to be motivated and expired, not expired, inspired to work on their relationship. And if we can offer that inspiration, that's great. But I want people to know, like, yes, you and I are an amazing couple. And it takes a shitload of work to if achieve. If I can jump in there. Please jump. Because I, I want to say that I got feedback from the men too. And here's what the men had to say. I'm going to read this verbatim. That's right. Nothing. It's, it's kind of like when we, we, we interviewed the sex expert in New York City, who said that she gave workshops on cunnilingus and blowjobs. <laughs> and there was a line out the door around the block for women interested in learning how to give better blowjobs. And there was crickets chirping for the cunnilingus class. Maybe that's because they didn't know what the word meant. I don't know. I don't, I don't think, think they know what the word means. <laughs> it means going down on her. Okay. And so that is relevant now because maybe the men are feeling vulnerable to share what they learned or what they got out of it. And I we're socialized in that direction that relationships we're not taught. We're not socialized to value the importance of relationships, to value connection, to value emotional awareness, to value communication. It we're just, we're, if anything, humiliated. Yeah. Intimacy, intimacy, vulnerability. So, What I was starting to say is, yeah, because of the way that men are socialized, which is, you know, all the work that you do and talk about and teach so eloquently to so many men. Also, a lot of you ladies out there should check out John's podcast because I know his audience is men, but a lot of the female clients he's had, or even some of my clients I've sent his way have gained a lot of insight about their partners from listening and understanding about the man box culture and how men are socialized to not really be wired for relationship in the same role modeling and patterns and skills. And for you and I in particular, 
Yes, we've been together over six years. We've been engaged for two. I do believe we have an incredible relationship that is worthy of envy because we are so connected, but not worthy of envy in such a way that it's not without work, right? Yeah, I would say jealousy more so than envy. I know you get more nitpicky on that language, a greater <laughs> understanding. There. Oh, no, I'm the nitpicky one on language. Yeah. Okay. Usually that's really me, but you have greater def- re- greater ways of remembering different definitions of <laughs> things than I do. So, yeah, I agree. I think we've got a, an amazing relationship. I didn't know a relationship could be like this. And I think we've worked really hard to get here and to sustain it and to keep it going, keep it alive. Because I mean, just to go back to one of your favorite lines, love is not enough. Love isn't enough. And no one ever really teaches us how to be in relationship. And no one ever teaches you that it's okay that love isn't enough. And then what to Mm -hmm. do next, right? So I'd like for us to get really vulnerable today. And I know that you and I have talked about some of the things that we want to share. (laughs) Well, I'm leading the charge on this one. So... I think it'd be really valuable for people to hear perhaps some of the times that we've been really stuck and how we've gotten through it. Because yes, we, like any other relationship, we get stuck and it really sucks for us because we like to think because we teach these tools and because we've been educated in how to teach these tools, that means that we should be immune, should I say, from having to feel Mm -hmm. stuck in relationship. And so when we get stuck, I know we both feel frustrated and I'll be honest, it took me some time to be able to separate out the profession from the person at times. And I know at times I've said some words that were hurtful and saying, Hey, you teach this stuff. Why can't you show up in this way right now? Because we're still human beneath the the profession behind the And that part is frustrating as hell. Just, it is. I, I mean, we've we've cursed being human many times, just we because have. it's it's emotion and it's hurt and it's pain and it's feeling, and yeah. it's not always pretty. Yeah, and you and I in particular, we we tend to be highly sensitive people, and at times that sensitivity, some require who's gonna whose sensitivity is going to get hierarchy right now. And we've had to learn how to navigate that. And I I don't know that many men would identify themselves as sensitive, but that's one of the things that you often say is they're more sensitive than they even realize. On that point, I would say that, you know, I've worked with men for 25 years and it always amazes me that, you know, when I was a kid, I used to think I was the only emotionally sensitive or highly sensitive guy out there. Now I've come to realize it's probably 90, 95% of men are exactly the same way. We just don't know how to put a label on it. We don't know how, what to do with it. And we funnel most of it through the anger lens. Yeah. Because that's the acceptable emotion for men to express, right? Right. One of the main ones. So let's address maybe some of the areas in which we've gotten stuck and no. how we've gotten through it. <laughs> Well, that's the end of the podcast. I have to go now. Yes. Well, I I, I think that, you know, we're going to, we're going to loop back around to this very point later on at the end around the value of revisiting these things, because so many couples that I work with will say, but we dealt with that. I don't want to ever talk about it again. 
And let me tell you, if one person says, I'm still feeling stuck about something that happened, it's really important to try to decrease defensiveness when your partner asks to revisit an area in which we were stuck because we likely don't want to go there because it's triggering. It brings up those difficult emotions. It can be re-traumatizing if, depending on how bad the disconnection was. So do you have an, do you have an example you want to share or should I pick one? Of a story of ours? Yeah. Yeah. A shitty story? Yeah. Shitty an embarrassing story. Okay. Yes. One to um, yeah, I think, human. you know, the, the classic one in my mind was when we, you know, after we went from Paris to Barcelona and we had just flown in and we were tired, we get to the hotel, beautiful hotel on the, on the beach, on the water. And we were starving. So we, we sit down at the restaurant there to order some appetizers. And Jory says, I have to go to the bathroom. And I said, great. And the waiter, God bless his soul, brought the appetizer like immediately. And so I'm sitting there looking at this beautiful, delicious appetizer and Jory's not back yet. And I thought, I'm so hungry. And I took a bite out of one of the little, <laughs> I don't know, crostinis or whatever they were with ham on top. And Jory came back and looked at the one bite and was crestfallen. <laughs> and... I was like, I was hungry. Did I say I was hungry? Because I was really hungry and that's a basic human need and I have a right to eat. But we, <laughs> we got into this anger, hurt, spiral cycle for a long time, like way longer than it needed to be. Like and the three and a half was, of our five days in Barcelona. Yeah, I don't think it was that long, but you know. It was. <laughs> my memory's worse. Um, and... You know, the funny thing was we both had good values that were fueling our behavior. I'm like, I'm hungry. And she was like, I want to eat together. I want to experience it together. She also liked to take pictures of the food. Um, but it, it really, we just got disconnected for a really long time. And it was really interesting to watch myself in the middle of it because I'd go from like, I don't know, hurt, disappointment, sadness. Like, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings to, you know, anger, defensiveness um, to, you know, well, damn it. I, I just apologize. Like, I don't want to apologize again. And you want to jump in here and give some of your side? Well, yeah. And, and you know, it was, I, I think we've gotten much, much better at the dynamic, but I think what was occurring was what we both were feeling were, there was no one in the wrong, right? Right. And what I was feeling when I got back was, oh, honey, I see that that upset you. I'm sorry. Right? The compassion for what I was feeling, it immediately went to defensiveness for your actions rather than acknowledging my emotions. And that was where I was getting stuck because it was really tricky to be able to honor what I was feeling when I didn't feel seen. And I didn't know how to get out of that dynamic when I didn't feel what I was feeling was acknowledged. And I think that was part of the spiral that took so long that we have taken years because that was really one of our first major disconnects. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, about two and a half years into dating, a year and a half, two and a half years, I guess it was a year and a half at that point. That was one of our first major disconnects. 
And I think one of the ways that we've gotten better since, and there's been some really big ones in between since then, was how to honor the hurt person's feelings before defending the actions, right? Because I think in that moment, if I came back from the bathroom and I saw, you know, this bite taken out of this very authentic Spanish appetizer for our first bite of food in Spain, and I said, oh, I really wish you would have waited. That would have been nice to share in that moment together. Had I heard, oh, wow, honey, I didn't realize it was that important to you. I see that that kind of bummed you out. I'm really sorry. I hope you understand. I was just really hungry. We now know that that's kind of the way that we would communicate now, five years later. But in the moment, it was, I was hungry. Why are you so upset with me? Right. And so being validated for my emotion before the defensiveness, I know in that moment now would be something we would be a little bit more skilled at. But then we were still learning how to be in relationship with each other. And yeah, it took us a couple of days to get out of that. And what we really learned was how to continue to make the repair when we just didn't feel like it. Because, like you said, you'd apologize. And then I would say, that didn't sound like an apology. And this has been something that you and I have worked on. And maybe you can speak a little bit to this around how to, because I was having a really hard time receiving the apology because in my mind, the words and the tone of voice and the body language didn't match. So I'm like, that's not authentic. I don't feel like you're sorry. Yeah. And and I think the interesting thing about repair attempts is there's two sides to it. So there's one of us has to make the repair attempt. The other one has to be in a spot where they can receive the repair attempt well. And those are two different things, two different skills. And we were, we kept missing, you know, all day long, you know, I would apologize. She would be in a spot where she was still heard about her last apology not being received. And we just kept missing back and forth. And one of the things we realized from this is when I'm making the first repair attempt and I'm still, I'm ahead of my emotion. In other words, I'm still feeling angry or hurt from the disagreement. I will try and make a repair attempt, but it sounds monotone, robotic. There's no authentic tone. It doesn't sound loving. It doesn't sound loving. It's detached. It's disconnected. And then she would respond to, well, that doesn't sound like an apology. It doesn't sound authentic, which would piss me off and make me frustrated even more. (laughs) And then, you know, further the disconnection. But what I told her, and I I don't know when we kind of got to this point, I don't know if it was this one or, or a little bit further down the road, but I said, you know, listen, that first apology is me stepping towards you and it's me making an attempt to repair. I know it doesn't sound perfect. And if you can stay with me for another few minutes, and accept that as a half step, then I can get to the point where I can say, hey, honey, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings with more authenticity and a, a more consistent consistent tone of voice. Yeah. Well I, think, you know, con- I, well, I think con- congruent, right? More aligned mm-hmm. and congruent with the intention that you're trying to get there. And, you know, I, I think that was really helpful for me to really learn. And I also learned that there were multiple things going on for you at that moment that we've, you know, taken a long time to uncover both of our patterns, like what our sensitivities are. And as a little sidebar, when I'm working with couples, I will often ask them, do you know what your partner's deepest sensitivities or wounds or triggers or insecure spots are? Because oftentimes they don't actually really know what their partner's deepest insecurity is. And then in disconnections or arguments or disagreements, it gets activated 
And so now you're dealing with things on multiple levels. Because I know if I am hurt by something, you're feeling a couple of things. One is defensiveness because you didn't try to hurt me and you're trying to defending your actions because you didn't think you were doing something wrong. But then you go into this shame spiral of, Mm -hmm. I can't believe I hurt my partner. And now you're sad about hurting me. And then it makes you embarrassed that you've hurt me. So now you're dealing with getting out of the embarrassment or the sadness or the shame for having hurt me without intending to hurt me because you wouldn't intend to hurt me. Right. So it's the multiple layers. And so when I learned, oh, he's not just being defensive, he's managing something that is a trigger from way before me, right? Of some narrative that had nothing to do with me. So then I had an easier time accepting the quote, like half apology, because that would be the step towards me being loving, saying, I know you didn't intend it, which could soften your embarrassment spiral or whatever you want to name it, shame spiral, whatever Mm -hmm. the word is to then help you feel accepted, making it easier to give the more congruent apology, making me feel like that was authentic. That feels meaningful. I feel connected again. Yeah. And and let me just comment on the defensiveness piece, because I think this is a huge one for people in relationships. And it's taken me a little bit within this relationship to get beyond being defensive and moving first to validating how you feel, which is a big one, I would say for many women um, and, and big in general. But when Jory would come at me with an accusation or criticism or just even what was perceived as judgment, uh, my first response was to go to trying to explain where I was coming from, trying to explain what I was thinking or doing, which is kind of a modest form of defensiveness. But if you think of defensiveness as, I mean, it could be anywhere from me getting angry and defending my position to being calm and defending my position, regardless, it's still defensiveness. And so, you know, to work on, you know, wow, honey, I can see that you're really hurt by this. That was not my intention. I'm sorry, you're feeling hurt. For us was a much better way to go than me trying to explain what the hell I was thinking. Right. And the other the other point I wanted to make is, as far as those repair attempts go, I got to tell you, I was so tired of making repair attempts after three days because we just kept missing and it was so frustrating. And then you got thoughts going like, we're wasting time in Barcelona and it's beautiful out and, you know, we're experts, we shouldn't be here and, you know, like in this disagreement. But what I realized is that there was this conversation that happened in my mind, like, dude, you got to make another repair attempt. And the other voice in my head said, but I don't want to make another repair attempt. I've already made 17 repair attempts. (laughs) And I was kind of like, fuck the repair attempts. And then I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter how you feel. You've got to make the repair attempt anyway. And that was my realization that I need to make the repair attempt regardless of whether or not I've completely shaken off that anger and that hurt, which is why you'll often get Uh, I'm sorry that isn't congruent with the tone of voice. And I think it's really important to realize that that repair attempt often, if not always, has to come before the emotion settles down. Because if you wait for the the negative, uncomfortable emotions to settle down, you might be waiting a long-ass time. Well, and ironically, the thing to help allow those emotions to settle is connection again. And just feeling safe and and secure in the relationship. And so you kind of got to trust that it's going to get there. 
And that, you know, we'll get into this too in a little bit, but, you know, that's where partners can co-regulate one another, that if one is feeling activated, the other can help stay calm to help neutralize any, you know, emotion, overwhelm. And, okay, so that was 2017. And we just about maybe two months ago, when was it? Maybe a, a month and a half ago, I feel like had one our one of our first, not first, but a really relevant, super simple, simple example of when this went really well of receiving feedback on something that I felt like, oh, like this, we we finally got there. Remember, you were over at my house one morning and I was really stressed, and there was a, a worker coming to the house and um I needed something and I I came to you and I felt like I was a little bit dismissed and I was like, well, I can let it go or I can just name it because I, I don't ever want to harbor and carry anything that could build to resentment. That's something that has been a value of mine in this relationship that I told myself early on when we first started dating was, let me just see what happens when I actually say how I feel. And at times it's been really hard because it might cause you know further disconnection temporarily, but ultimately it's allowed me to show up authentically and honestly. And I I don't have any resentment I carry, which I never want to have that because it gets in the way of everything, right? But I remember I came to you like a, a minute after this little disconnect happened and I said, honey, you know, I, I'm, I just need to let you know, I felt like when I came and asked, I even don't remember what the detail was, but, you know, I said, I, I felt kind of dismissed and I saw like your body language, like you got a little tense and then you took a breath and I felt you soften and you're like, I really see how you can felt that way. And I'm really sorry that I know you're having a hard morning. And it was like this perfect example of the shift of receiving, hey, I'm hurt about something. And there was zero defensiveness. There just was that deep breath. Let me just calm down. I don't have to react to this. I can just honor she's having a tough morning. She needed a little bit more for me. I can see where she was coming from. And then later on, we were like, woohoo, that went so well. <laughs> we yeah. Of ourselves. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. It felt like a huge success. And I'm not saying, you know, we've, we've spent four and a half years in between not having many of those many successes, but it's, it's still ongoing because we're human. And, you know, I love the phrase, and I say this often to my clients, especially it's great in parenting too, but validation then rationalization. Validate what your your partner or your child or your friend, whomever, validate them first. Wow, that was really hard for you. And here's what was going on for me in that moment. Because again, no one's emotions have a hierarchy over the other. Yeah, and, and there's science to back that up. There's studies at UCLA that show that this term affective labeling is really helpful in the, getting the other person to de-escalate their negative emotion. Um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up, you were talking about sharing how we feel, whether it's an emotion or a mood. And one of the things that we've practiced, I think throughout this, or one of the things that I've practiced is if I'm in a depressed mood, an irritable mood, a grouchy mood, I'll try and let you know, Hey honey, I'm in a grouchy mood today. And it has nothing to do with you. And, and I think that's such a gift to other people because our tendency as humans is to personalize everything and in particular what other people are feeling, thinking, and doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if you guys have listened to any of our story before, but for, I know a lot of new listeners now, that was one of the, um, the moments that 
as you like to say that you you knew you were falling in love with me or fell in love or maybe acknowledge that you had fallen in love uh, when there was one night early on in dating when you were over and you had said, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not in a great mood. It's not you. And my response was, my job is to accept all of you. And, you know, your jaw just about hit the floor because it was an unusual experience for you to feel accepted in all emotions. And, you know, aside from that moment of just feeling accepted for it, I know that for me throughout our relationship, I, if I have that information, I then can get out of my own spiral of insecurity or my narrative of abandonment or, you know, what's wrong? What did I do? Is it all my fault? And that's, that's old shit. That's not about us right now. And so part of it is we've also been skilled to name, is this about each other right now? Is this about something from our exes? Is this about our past? Is this about our childhood? But, you know, when I can have insight into where you're at, then I can really be open and communicating, you know, hey, love, how can I best support you right now? What is it that you need? And sometimes when we ask each other the question, how can I best support you? Usually the answer is what? Nothing. Well, we say more than that, though. Usually, the Well, there's nothing you can do for me right now, but even the question itself yeah. is caring and nurturing. So that's we know that the that's what, act that's what of I the, question, <laughs> the question itself is a caring act. Yeah. And and I think the other thing that kind of factors into all this, it's kind of all wrapped in a big ball of twine around our hearts, I guess, um, is I think we've made a really strong effort and awareness to accept any and all emotions as simply emotions and information and not as good or bad. Um, and to they're all to be accepted. And, and I think that's yeah. kind of a novel approach from what I've seen in others in their relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that also ties into that depersonalization that if we can take the emotions less personally, then we can be curious and non-judgmental and more objective about it. And then ideally talk about it sooner to figure out, okay, so what the heck was going on back there? Like, what were you thinking? Right. Did I, did I step in, into a trigger there that I didn't know about? Was that an insecurity? Did I, did I say something that could have been phrased a little bit more thoughtfully? What, you know, how do we improve that? Right. And that could only happen once you've been distanced enough from the situation. And this is something I know that we wanted to share is I tend to be the one, like most women, I will say, who wants to keep talking about things. And I know that you, like many men, hate to overgeneralize, and it's true, you don't like to talk as much once we've kind of, you know, beaten a dead horse. And within that, there's been a couple of really important things that we've learned. And one is you've said to me, and I think this is probably more recent, maybe in the last year and a half, is because I can keep talking at nauseum about emotions. Wait, 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 hold I, on, hold I, on. So when Jory was younger, <laughs> she says that she would fall asleep talking to her mother. This is my mom's my mom's story. This she doesn't my mom. And would say. when she woke up in the morning, she would fall asleep <laughs> mid-sentence. When she woke up in the morning, she would pick up at that mid-sentence and continue talking. That's what we're kind of talking about here, just to give you an idea. <laughs> hey baby, you chose to be with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not complaining. Yeah. I just want to, you know, make it really yes, apparent. Put it in context. Okay. So I like to talk and I tend to not want to be done talking until I feel resolved. 
Now, my level of resolution tends to be a little bit different than what John's level of resolution might look like, but he's given me some really good information. He realized that after about, I forget, is it 30 minutes? 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Oh, look how I just wanted to up it to 30. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's at 10. Okay. Ah, damn it. Okay. So after 15 to 20 minutes, that, that tends to be the limit in which he starts to feel, I don't know what flooded, overwhelmed. Flooded. And, and so I, what I, what I realized is that we could be engaged in a disagreement or an emotionally laden subject. And I could be, I can stay with the disagreement um, rationally, calmly, relatively, for about 15 to 20 minutes. And then I realized that what was happening is I'm getting increasingly flooded, whether that's you know more sadness, more shame, more anger, whatever it was, or all of the above. And I was increasingly trying to shut myself down and say less in an attempt to protect Jory from any possible words I would say in anger. Now it looks like, and it is stonewalling because I'm basically shutting the conversation down, but the intention is I don't want to say anything that's going to hurt her. And so when I realized this, I went to her and said, Hey, look, I think I've got this limit of about 15 to 20 minutes where I can stay in the conversation. Then when I start to get triggered, I need to go away for 20 minutes and calm down my physiology so that I don't say anything that hurts you. Which this was a really sticky dynamic because, you know, oh, my, yeah. my, my old triggers and my narrative and my deepest insecurities and fears and wounds are related around abandonment. And so when I would see him starting to kind of shut down, which I later learned was him also not, um, protecting me from saying something he didn't want to say to hurt me, but it was also him trying to self-soothe, to calm himself down, to get himself out of that other little hole it dug because it likely triggered another hole that wasn't about the present, right? It triggered something else, some other narrative from the past or whatever it, it triggered you. So when he was able to explain to me, hey, this is what I need to do in order to be able to come back to have a more productive conversation, that was really, really hard for me because it felt like I was being abandoned. It felt like stonewalling. It felt like, well, if he cared, he would stay with it right now because he would see how dysregulated I am. He would see how upset I am. And what I had to learn in that moment was really, really big awareness for me, which was, oh, I'm looking to my partner to soothe me when I'm upset, when I'm dysregulated, when I'm overwhelmed. He doesn't have that capacity right now. That's not about him not loving me, not being a good partner, not being there to support me. Oof, this is an opportunity where I've got to learn to soothe myself. And that was a really big awareness. And now I know in the work of John and Julie Gottman, who've been researching marriage and relationships for 40 years, they agree that if one partner needs that space, by all means, take it, especially when it's going to calm the physiology, calm the brain, calm the body, allow you to speak more rationally and kindly. The key is to give the time frame in which you're going to come back, because that's the key to not make the other partner feel abandoned. And I, yeah, go ahead. So, I, I mean, so we learned a few things here and, and one of them was, so it doesn't work well for me to get flooded stonewall and then say, I'm going back to my place. That, that was yes. not good. 
No, 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 no. What no. does work is, oh, well, and let me back up a second, because I describe this to my clients as as follows. Let me just see if this checks with your experience. I say that, you know, I explained my stonewalling, my getting flooded. And then when I stonewalled, Jory would get almost panicked at this deep DNA type level. Like it's, it was, it was a really strong emotion. And, and so she would pursue me and I'm trying to get away so I can calm myself down. And that became a dynamic that we really had to iron out because it was not a good dynamic. And so what we found out that worked really well is for me to be able to say, hey, honey, I'm getting flooded. I need to take a time out for 20 minutes. I will be back. And then she could work. So I needed to reassure her deepest insecurity. And then she needed to work on soothing herself and calming her own physiology. Right. And yeah, and that took some time. And it also took some boundaries because I had to really guide you in what language you were not allowed to use. You know, if it was, I don't know if I could be in this relationship, you know, there were times Mm. early on and I was like, you can't do that because that feels incongruent with, yeah, it was way too much. And so if that's your story, that's your narrative, that's the work you've got to do, but that's a boundary I'm going to set as what doesn't feel safe to me to hear because I'm not going to trust the commitment. And so, yeah, like I, I would get panicky and, you know, I think that is probably where I've in the past been labeled high maintenance or needy or insecure or overly anxious, which gives emotions a bad name. Right. And, you know, only adds to a stereotype of, you know, she's, she doesn't leave me alone. She's overly needy. Can I just have some space? And it took well, and a yet, lot of me work. For interrupting. I, I think that when you understand the dynamic, once we figured it out, it all makes great sense. Like yeah. it, it completely makes sense to me. And and to back up, you know, you were saying when I would go to, when I would get flooded and go to, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I can be in this relationship. I think what led me there was shame, which is funny because I didn't really consider myself to that point as experiencing any shame, mm-hmm. but there was, that's the moment is when you're in those disagreements And it like something you said takes me back to childhood and like, oh my God, I'm a bad person. That's when you know it's it's shame because then you start Mm -hmm. to think in really black and white terms, but it it feels quite similar to anger, but it's more, I'm all bad and I don't deserve connection. Well, and I think there is embarrassment attached there with that for you of I can't provide, I can't give to her what she's needing right now. Mm -hmm. And that makes me feel like an unworthy partner. I'm not worthy of connection. Yeah. I'm not worthy of this relationship. So it wasn't, I I think it can come across as being angry, but I don't think that was what was really driving it. I think it was shame. No. And then, so my work in that, which was fascinating for me to observe was, okay, now I was the, you know, perhaps original one feeling hurt and sensitive. So I bring it up. It causes him to Mm. over, get overwhelmed and flooded. And so now he's stepping back to be able to self-soothe, to work through this narrative of shame, to calm down. I now feel abandoned. And so then the tricky, really tricky part was I'm like, oh, I need to rescue him out of this shame spiral, which only then allowed me to then abandon my own set of original emotions, right? Total codependent behavior. I'm going to abandon myself and you know, over attached to where you're at. But ironically, 
that was the last thing you needed because you were taking space because you needed the space. And then I realized, oh, it's not my job to rescue him out of that. And I have to then take care of myself. And I remember there was one night, I don't know how long ago it was, maybe a year ago, where it was one of these particularly hard nights where you needed the space. And um, I, I kind of was embarrassed that I was feeling so unable to regulate myself. Like I felt I, at my core, I felt like I needed you to regulate me and I needed you to calm me down. And you weren't available for that. Not because it wasn't about loving me and not being a good partner. It's you were in your work. And I remember I, I texted my best friend and I was like, I just, I, I just, I don't know what to do for myself. And I was like crying and I'm like, I just want to go to in and out. And it was like 1030 on a Friday night. And I hadn't eaten dinner yet because you and I had been disconnected. And she's like, then go to in and out. I'm like, okay, that's what self-regulation looks like. That's to good me advice. Right now. Yeah. Get, getting in the car, taking my dog and going to get dinner that I hadn't had yet. And it was, this was a big deal for me because it was, oh, it's not that he doesn't love me. It's not that he's not the perfect partner for me. It, this is about me regulating myself, him regulating himself, and we're not available to do it for each other right now. And that is okay. Yeah. It's not because we don't want to be there for each other. No. So I I think, (sighs) go ahead. So uh, the other thing that comes to mind though, is I think one of the reasons that we've had I think a great deal of success in these difficult areas is because you, I'll put the blame squarely on your shoulders, that Jory will bring up these disagreements <laughs> oh, that we've blame, had. You, by blame, you actually are praising me. <laughs> it's a positive blame, yes. It was, it was ironic, sarcastic, something like that. So by Jory will bring these up to us when we have a moment alone, when we have some distance from a disagreement, when we have some clarity. And I think we've gotten really good at going back and asking ourselves what was happening here and how can we do it better? And it, in my mind, it creates this image of an upward spiral where we keep covering the same ground at times, sometimes three, four or five times. And every time we cross that path, that, that disagreement or argument, we gain more curiosity, more objectivity, more distance, and we can look at it and what our deepest patterns, what our deepest insecurities are. Therefore, we have we experience those sorts of disagreements far less now. And, and, and I think it's one of the keys to, to our success. And we ultimately end up far more connected. Uh-huh. And because we know each to, other inside and out. Yeah, and I, I have to give you a lot of credit because at first, you are not very good at that. You are much better at it now. And, and this is a common Amen. dynamic because yes, I'm a, I'm a man. <laughs> yes. That was the caveman voice. The rest <laughs> of your voice is the evolved caveman voice. <laughs> yeah. But you know, th- there were times where I would bring something back up and instantly, you know, you'd give the eye roll, you would feel I, your shoulders would slump. And it was like, really? Like, haven't we dealt with this? Oh yeah. Oh, we got to deal with that again. Shit. And so my response would be like, yeah, we're dealing with it again because I clearly don't feel resolved around it. And ultimately I wasn't the only one who would bring things back up. I think things would come back up both ways. Um, but I, I needed that because it made me feel, well, 
at least if I can gain greater insight into the patterns, at least if I can gain greater insight into what's coming up for you, what's coming up for me, and we can talk about it at a time when we're not in the middle of it, we're going to be able to see it more, which is we're going to be able to see it more clearly. And I also want to know that the disconnection, the argument, whatever you want to call it, it wasn't for naught, right? Like this happened for a reason because we aren't yet aware of the skill we need to practice. And if I could attach some sort of growth to each time we had these issues and I felt better for going through them because I believe so many couples have these arguments, have these disconnections, never fully repair, never fully revisit them, never get to the point of seeking understanding of what was really going on for you there and what was really coming up for me. And we've uncovered some really fascinating insights when we've allowed ourselves to go back to it. I mean, one of our biggest disconnections when I was when I traveled to Europe for a month and it brought up a lot of challenges for us, but it might've been a year or even two later that you realized, I think one night in a dream that it triggered some yeah. childhood story from when you were what, like seven years old? Yeah, six or seven. And so having the ability to say, you know, I was super triggered with your travel and I just had this memory or this dream that reconnected this childhood trauma. It makes sense why what you when you traveling, what that brought up for me. Like it just allowed a whole nother level of insight into our suck places. Yeah. What I realized is that my parents used to travel a lot when I was very young and leave us with a babysitter and some untoward stuff happened during one of those. And so I think it was traumatizing for me when loved ones leave. And at yeah. a level like before I could even put words to it. So then I have this emotional reaction, geez, 50 years later, 50, 45 years later, I'm only 35, but, um, <laughs> and, and it was sort of had me scratching my head. Like, why is my emotional response so disproportionate to the situation? Yeah. And, you know, to you listeners out there know that that probably took a full year to resolve, like fully, fully yeah. resolve and put behind us because and we're several conversations. To- Several. And because we're willing to come back and revisit and revisit and revisit until it fully feels resolved. And I think, you know, I think we got to be careful with the why question, because most of what we feel, most of who we are, most of our personality traits are overdetermined, which means that there's a lot of different influences on those things. It's not just one thing. Right. But each piece of the puzzle you can add, I think, helps you and your partner go, oh. And they understand you better, and therefore they can accept you more. Right. Well, and one of my big awarenesses, and you know, going into this relationship, um, where previously I didn't understand what it meant to have an individual identity in a relationship, and that was just a function of having been with you know my in my marriage from the time I was you know dating since I was thirteen. So I I didn't have the experience to know what it looked like to be an individual who's partnered. And that has been a huge learning curve for me of saying, oh, we can actually have different experiences within the same experience and that's okay. We can have different emotions about it. We can have different processes about it. And as a result, I don't feel lost at all in this relationship. I feel fully independent and ironically, way more connected because we're not trying to change each other. We're trying to just honor where each other is at, which 
it takes a great level of awareness and compassion to do so. Yeah. Well, I think we're both vested in changing ourselves to be the best partner that we can for each other. Yeah. Which is much different than having a partner who is trying to change you. Yeah. That's never going to go over well. It just breeds resentment. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I oftentimes when I'm working with couples, I'll ask them, you know, are you in love with this person sitting next to you or are you in love with the, the potential of who they can be? You know, or maybe, you know, I, in fact, you know, I talk with my clients who are just beginning to date post-divorce. Like if you don't authentically show up in the beginning as you want to actually be in the relationship because you're trying to be overly pleasing or overly accommodating or appear to be, you know, that you don't have any hangups with anything. And then, you know, a few months in, you start showing up authentically. The person's going to be like, well, where'd that person go? I wanted to date that person. Right. So I would just, you know, advise, especially if you're dating, but even in your long-term relationships, have the courage to actually be yourself. Easier said than done at times, but. And so just a a note to end on, um, I remember I was doing an interview in San Francisco and I got a question from a a recent Harvard graduate and she said, I I broke up with my boyfriend recently and I've about three months ago and I'm ready to get back into the dating pool. Do you have any advice for what to look for? And I thought about it. I was like, well, that's a really good question. Uh, Give me a second. But my response was, yeah, I do. Actually, I think what I would do in your shoes is look for someone with a growth mindset in general, someone that's willing to grow, that knows that they can grow through perseverance and effort, but or and that also has a growth mindset in particular about relationship skills. Because if you're with someone that is willing and interested in and able to grow and learn new skills, I really don't think there's much you cannot deal with. Yeah. That's a double negative, but I think you can deal with just about anything. But the problem is I would say that what I see too many men get stuck in a fixed mindset and are kind of like, love me as I am, love me or leave me. Like I'm not going to change. And that's a death knell for a relationship in my opinion. What do you think the men are actually feeling in those moments? Do you think that for most men who say that, like, do you honestly think they don't want to change? Because I think part of what we can do here is help give insight. Like what, what do you think? Is, is, is that really it there? Is... I, I think it's that it could be the shame spiral. I think it could be fear. I think it could be stubbornness or anger that is, you know, got layers of emotions underneath it, like fear, embarrassment, anger, or fear, embarrassment, shame. Um, because I, I think it's easy for them to go to, I'm not enough, or you're saying I'm not good enough, or I'm not a good enough husband. And then we get defensive and then we get angry. Mm-hmm. I think it's all about emotion personally. Yeah. It's, it's threatening. It's scary as hell. I mean, I really think that, you know, doing serious work on self-development is frightening. I mean, it's, was it, is it the Anais Nin quote that says my mind? I don't think it's Anais Nin. No, it's Anne Lamott. Anne Lamott. Yeah. Thank you. It's like a terrible neighborhood that I'm afraid to go to alone. A terrible neighborhood at night. My mind is, yeah, my mind is like, yeah, I don't want to go there. And I think that's absolutely true. I think that, you know, everyone I've talked to thinks that the thoughts they've had are crazy or are having. I think that they think that they're crazy. Um, I, I mean, there's there's layers to it, and we judge ourselves so harshly for what goes on in our head. And really, you know, we can't control the thoughts that come. We can change how we relate yeah. to them. But you know, those classic Hall of Fame self insults 
are always going to be there. You know, I'm a dumbass. I'm too fat. Nobody likes me. I'm unlovable, whatever it is. And I, I think it's just about recognizing them, challenging them, and then learning how to let them go and not buy into them as true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping for the listeners that they got a lot of value out of hearing where we've gotten stuck. And, you know, for anyone who has seen photos of John and I and heard our story and, you know, wants a relationship like ours, let me tell you, it's possible. Because like you said in the beginning, I didn't know love like this was possible. I didn't know that growth like this was possible or that gaining deep insight, not only into myself and getting really curious about my patterns, but being able to share that with another so vulnerably was possible. And luckily you and I teach this stuff because what we say is all these skills are learnable, right? And if someone is open to wanting to learn them, they are learnable. No one is born knowing how to be great in relationship. And we tend to do trial and error. We try it. It doesn't work. We don't want to keep trying because it's it's hard. It's perseverance. And we put our heart on the lines. And and I have to share, I got a great compliment the other day. Someone said that, you know, John, you really embody the skills you teach. And I was like, wow, I think that's like the greatest thing you could have said to me. Um, because it's we try to embody what we teach. We I don't think we always, well, let me put it in my perspective, I don't always succeed. I think there are times when I fall down, I stumble, and that's where I curse being human. And yet we're still human. We will still make mistakes. I think we're just trying to minimize those mistakes and minimize the pain that we cause to one another. Yeah. Wow. I love you very much. I'm grateful for all I the love you humanness. Too. And I hope And you guys happy Valentine's enjoy. Day. Happy Valentine's Day, love. And to all of you guys, I hope you um are able to practice showing up in vulnerability and practice expressing your needs and practice being human. And if you're just starting to date and you <clears throat> practice these things and it falls flat, then perhaps either this isn't the right partner for you, or perhaps it's an opportunity for more growth. Um, so, and if you're single, that's okay too. So happy singles day 100. to you. And it doesn't mean you're broken. Doesn't mean you're flawed. Maybe if you're looking, it just means you haven't found the right person yet. Well, and I think Valentine's is about is any love in your life, right? Friendships, parents, dog. children. Oh, I love my dog so much. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? All right, you guys, if you enjoyed this episode, we would love to be able to hear about it. So a review or rating, share it with your friends. And um, because we've gotten so much feedback on these joint podcasts, we are going to continue to be doing them. So stay tuned for the next one. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 